0: The Collective Whisper Podcast with Simon King. Hello, everybody, welcome to today's show. Today, I'd like to welcome Kevin Walsh and Dara O'Grenier. Kevin Walsh is a former Irish Gaelic footballer and former manager of the Gaelic Footballers. He won three All-Ire Stars and two All-Ireland Senior Football Championships in his inter-county career with Gaelic. He also served as manager of the Senior Sligo County team from 2008 to 2013. Dara O'Neir is a freelance sports journalist, author, editor and analyst commentator who works in print and online media as well as television and radio. He was the chief features writer with the Irish field for six years. He is the current editor of Irish Racing Yearbook and the content provider for the Komogi Association, as well as the co-author with Kevin Walsh and their new book, The Invisible Game. So, welcome to the show, Kevin and Dara. How are you guys? All good. All well. Thanks for having us, Simon. Brilliant. Lovely to meet you guys. And, you know, you're on... So, Kevin, you're, you're around my Cullen side or in side? and Dara, uh, where so are I'm you? So, I'm in the
1: Midlands there, uh, just outside Port Arlington, on the Offaly side of Port
0: Arlington, yeah. Kevin, you're a So, were you born there? Born
2: there, born and there. yeah. Yeah, I'm still living there, so built a house maybe half a mile from home, so that's why I'm still there, uh, yeah, Humber.
0: All right. And Dara, you were you grew up in Waterford, didn't you? Yeah, so I'm I've been all over the
1: place, uh, Simon. Not not as as far as you, but uh so I, I was my parents were from Cork and and uh but but by the time I was born we were in the Ring in Waterford, but I would have been reared as a Cork man within Waterford. And uh I've been all over the place. I've been in Mead, um, but I moved to Kildare in the two thousand and two and have been in the Midlands since was living in in Monastery for about thirteen years and I, I'm here now about five years. It's funny we were speaking about it recently, you know, how the years pass and you how you consider yourself in been away from home but suddenly I'm in the Midlands nearly 20 years which is almost
0: almost half my life like you know it's it's funny how yeah. these things happen you know. Yeah yeah for sure I mean Ke- Kevin for you you know growing up did you ever have a stint abroad or did, were you tempted to go on the buildings in England or anything?
2: Yeah look I, I suppose the far away hills of green at times and I thought that in 1998 I went over to Boston for three months and spent the summer there and uh, kind of in my head whether would I, would I stay or not stay but I think the football and the club ethos and all that type of stuff was always the back of the head. I Miss, missed, missed it a lot. And uh, spent the three months there, came home. And to be honest, I didn't do a lot of traveling after that In for long term and a few holidays and stuff. But not, not the major. No.
0: You know, like, as I said, you know, footballers, they get a lot from football and they, you know, it can really help their careers and everything. But I suppose the one disadvantage is that in terms of traveling, if they want to travel, Sometimes I suppose they can feel, you know, like oh, I, I want to be on the county team or the club team, and it's very hard to travel and have that as well. So I'm sure there's a lot of great footballers that said I would have loved to travel, but at that time football was more important to me.
2: Yeah, and and you know, in particular when you, I suppose if you're brought up with the with a club, and most clubs are they're very passionate about the boundaries of where they where they're born and where they live, and suppose even as a young fella turning into. And adults, you know, you're, you're mixing with your friends, you're, the, the games are, it's the banter, you know, the games are always the, the reason why you might have a bit of crack afterwards with the group and, suppose when you're young, you miss all that and that's and something that draws you very, very close and obviously then the, 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 the home tradition and the home little club you always have to achieve and, and, it, you know, that's before you even, Wonder, wonder whether you ever play county or not or want to play county you, you just, you're you kind of drawn towards home because of the people in the community as well
0: like I found it's funny because I, I wasn't a footballer I used to be into martial arts and karate and all that kind of stuff but the one thing I always said to people you know the one thing I found was you'd have fathers and mothers who you know yourself can be very you know passionate about the game and they would say, oh, and do you play football? And I'd say, no, no, I do karate. And they'd be like, oh, why do you do that? Why don't you play football? And I'd say, well, I'm, I'm more into that and stuff, you know, martial arts and stuff. So I, I, as you said, the, the, the Gaelic games, is, they're a very passionate thing in Ireland. And sometimes, like, in good and bad ways, they really take over people's lives in the sense that in bad ways, people can be too passionate and the game can get too intense. And in the good ways, it does a lot for the community and it also, you know, strengthens young lads' confidence and gives them something to work
3: towards.
2: Yeah, and then look at it again, you know, we have to look at the social element of this. Like, I mean, some people go to the, the local pitch, uh, all this in their mind is is what I call now social football. And social football is something where it's off the cuff, it's 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 enjoyable, there's no one telling you what to do. You're kicking the ball, if it goes wide, you have a laugh, uh, you know, but I suppose that's not getting to top level, but... That's also something we, we we have to you know we tend kind of underestimate at times. Getting, just getting out on the pitch and kicking and a uh, social with, with with your friends, um, that's really really huge for people that might not ever be able to make the standard of a senior club team or, or 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 a county player. But I suppose you are right. When it gets a bit more serious, there's there's a heavy commitment involved, and I suppose you do miss out on a lot. You know, you miss out on the chance to travel. You miss out on probably your overtime if you're working. You miss you know you miss out on on a lot of financial stuff. But you know something, as you get older, you wouldn't turn that back because, you know, at the, end of the day, you know, you don't see too many of your own people that's going to struggle to put food on the table. You always get enough. And, and, you know, something memories like this is really, you know, you'd be kind of in your 50s, 60s saying, why didn't I do this or I'd like to have seen that. So, you know, while you're, you're making sacrifices in a number of ways, I think you get it back in spades, to be honest, with, with the social side of it and just, just achievement. And, and oftentimes, it, can put you, it puts you in a good shape for life. You know, you learn lots of lessons: how to win, how to lose, how to, you know, how to re- refocus, how to reset if things go against you. A lot, of, a lot of football teaches a lot of that.
0: Yeah, it's it, well. I, I think that's the one thing about it. There's great discipline in it, and you know, when you're younger, you mightn't see it as much. But like everything in life, as you get older. It comes to the forefront and and there's things, you know, in other careers, you can take what you've learned from football and put it into that in the same way with a lot of sports, you know. Uh, Dara, for you, you know, obviously you work a lot with sport and horse racing and everything. What was your passion for sport as you grew up as a teenager? Were you into football as well?
1: Anything and everything. But I anything and everything. I really loved all sport. And by the time I was 15 or 16, I knew I wanted to be a sports journalist, but I was just a voracious reader. And uh, yeah, I played I played uh, football, Harlan, played soccer. Uh, we were mad into the race and didn't have horse at the time. But I would read front to back and I would tell you anything about athletics, golf, cricket. I would tell you about anything way more than maybe 30 years ago than now. Because obviously I had nothing else to do, only read papers maybe at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but But it's interesting even listening to Kevin. I mean, I was never much good an average club player but I remember my uh, late mother when I'd been 19, well, even early 20s and she trying to get me to go to the States during the summer trying to get me out the door um, and I wouldn't go because I was going to Miss Club Ga, and like I wouldn't have been guaranteed to play every year I was just in that borderline probably a bit small but looking back, I don't know was I, could I have been more committed but I would be on and off and, uh, you know, get dropped for big games and that. But I'd come back next year. I wanted to play. And a huge part of that was, and a huge part, I like I played until I was 40 at real junior Z level. But I, I didn't want to let it go. And I know what I missed most was the banter in the dressing room, the crack, the camaraderie be that a social of a point afterwards but even in the dressing room and around training and uh, I've missed it every day since so uh, but that was a huge huge aspect of it at any level and uh, yeah no it was sport football hurling
0: anything that moved I was into it to be honest with you yeah I can imagine you know obviously there's all types of different people and and sometimes people go on different paths you know but it's interesting, Dara, that you know you had this, the the blood of the sport in you, but then you, as you said, you were a voracious reader. So you kind of combined that lack of, or that, that love, sorry, not lack that love of literature with the sport, and yeah, not lack, lack, no, no, lack. not yeah. lack, but you combined the love and you kind of turned it into a new career, didn't you? Uh, look, I did, and I'm I, I
1: I've always considered myself really, really lucky, Simon, because we all know people. And I think it's difficult and I think the education system is mental that you ask kids at 15 to choose topics for the leaving sort that actually determine where what you might do or that you have to make a commitment that rules out half of things that you have to decide your profession, maybe at 15 or 16. Most of my friends didn't know what they wanted to do in their early twenties, but they had, had made a commitment, you know, people ended up in banks or whatnot, you know, and hated every, you know, we all know people go into work every day, hate what they're doing. I knew, and it wasn't, a, you know, maybe it was a phase, but I knew it was a thing I had a passion in and I had a, a half an ability to write. Um, and I have no problem speaking. So I, I was lucky. And, uh, while work becomes work ultimately work is always work and you're doing the same thing i know that i'm very lucky that i enjoy enjoy what i'm doing and i'm still doing so 30 odd years after you know so i was just really fortunate i had that passion but i had the ability to take it that step further as
0: well because a lot of people have the passion you know but uh I was just able to combine the two. Yeah. And, you know, Kevin, here's a question for you, because I I see this in, in Madrid and in Spain here a lot with the football, you know, the the soccer, because I, I work as an English teacher. And the thing is, I've worked in some schools and I worked in one or two private schools where, you know, they had the Real Madrid uh, young, youngsters, you know, so you could see the pressure on them, but you can see what the school does for them because they're all kind of on these scholarships from all over Spain and Central America and South America and everything. But the thing is, it's really interesting because when you meet those young lads, they all think they're going to be the next Ronaldo and Maradona and everything. But, you know, the truth is 99% of them don't make it. And they. so I think that's the good thing about uh, football, like Gaelic football in Ireland you have far more chances, even though it's not a paid game. You have far more chances to turn your life into something and benefit from the football, rather than looking at Spain and say, "and say oh, I'm only going to be playing in the third or fourth division, and maybe the monetary gains won't be that much." I think in Ireland there's far more to be achieved, even though the money's not there.
2: Yeah, look, it's, it's an amateur game, you know, and and like it always will. I suppose, to be honest, I think it always will be because you know there's nobody being bought in from different clubs. You're 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 rare to the People like you said going to school, and you were so right about sports. Like you look at golf, for instance, and the amount of people who are you know below below par golfers, and I almost always describe it as as getting a very good poker hand, but not good enough to win. And you put all your you know you put everything you have into that area, and you know financially, time, uh, and still there's only going to be a certain amount of people who want to make that that step up in the golf for professional, or like you said in 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 Madrid, or. You know, and again, I suppose it does, it's it's a big flop for people that don't do that. Whereas, like Dara described there in, in, in your clubs and everything else, there's always some division, no matter what it is you can play in. You, as I said at the start, you can play the social side of it. It's still the same enjoyment. You know, it's, it's, it just depends on what, I suppose, on, what's, on what, what catches you and what you want to achieve. And I the ability then as well comes in, obviously comes into the to drive that. But look at it in the, the day it is an amateur game we're talking about it against a professional game so it's kind of hard to compare it we all go to work afterwards anime so we're not relying on our, on our game for, 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 for our putting food on the table and stuff so it's probably a lot different to be honest Simon but um, that's what the GA gives you you know it's the, the amateur status I don't see it changing to be honest with you uh, when it does you know, if it does, where do your boundaries come? Where does your club?
0: Here's the thing. Obviously, I, you've probably been asked this question on air and off air a million times. But how do you do? Do you what do you say? Like for the people who say that the GAA will never make it professional because they'll lose money or you know they'll have to pay out money. Do you think that if the game was to become um, a professional level and players? Would not have to work in normal, regular jobs, but could commit full time to playing, train more, and be paid for it, and be paid for appearances and games. Do you think that would change the game a lot? I
2: do think it would change it. I'm not so sure how it would work. You know, I, I, it, like, it's, you know, you look at, I suppose we're, we're talking back to go back to Buccaneers and Corinthians, and, and when I was young, you, you might see Fred Cuddly in television on on a Saturday. I'd be, you know, those matches would be on, you know, could be Cantarell, could be anybody of that, and then all of a sudden they put all the pressure, together all their, their. their, their, their well, the top players into provinces. And now, in fairness, we've got a really, really good um, four teams in, in, in hiding in cups and whatever you want to call it. But I suppose we'll be going to a place where, you know, you could be from Linster and i making it and come to Connacht. You could be, you know, if the G.A. goes there, I don't see it going there. I think the G.A. is too big to do that. You know, if you look at even Conor Rugby, I could be wrong on this, but something like 5% against 95% GA. You know, it's probably a lot easier to, to handle that. But how do you, with all the people saying, you know, who deserves to be on that contract? You know, it's it's just hard. It's so it's so minuscule between who's the best. And you'll always have the arguments. well, I should be on the first 15. The guy that's not on the six subs, you know, I should be on that team. The guy outside the subs, I should be on the subs. The guy that's left at home, I think I'm better than the sub in there. So... There's just it's too, it's so many people involved. I don't know how professionalism is going to take over. I do believe there's a lot of players at the minute who are being, you know, because of social media and because of sponsorships, are being well looked after the, at the top anyway. There's a lot of them being well looked after. A lot of them too well looked after as compared to what their teammates are getting and which I find a little bit hard to look at. I'd be, I'd be more about the team than, than the individual. I do think if some person is getting a whole heap of stuff as a player, maybe afterwards is okay, but, you know, i don't know if that bodes well with the other guys in the dressing room, to be honest. Uh, in particular, when you're trying to achieve. And again, that's to find a balance on that. Because That's who am I who to say, but that's probably what I look at. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, I think the one thing that I always take from living in Curfyn for years, obviously, and seeing the way the football was there and football, Gaelic football is very much It is a county game, but it's I think first and foremost a club game. And the the thing about it is, it all stems from the club. From you know the younger players all the way up, they nurture them and grow them, and they become who they are and become you know they are professional in their stature and the way they play. It's just they're not getting the professional recognition as in pay maybe. But the thing I think about it is, like you said there, if players were to start being bought and sold. Some people might feel that's a betrayal of the whole community and club thing. So, if a Kilanan player was to go to Currafeen or Currafeen player to go to Mike Cullen based on financial gain, then you might have a lot of more politics and a lot more kind of bullshit and disputes popping up. No.
2: Yeah, I think so. And you know, I think, you know the, the amateur game. And if you, you know Darrell spoke about all the teams he played for his younger, I I would say he would safely remember all the volunteers put all the work into him as a young fella uh, whether it be we're trying to call it babysitting now but back then it wasn't, it wasn't babysitting you know it was it was, uh, it was of, and you, you know you're doing you know your best but you always had somebody who was prepared to put in time with you you know the coaching level wasn't near where it is now but it was what it was at the time and the time was being put in by these brilliant volunteers in the GEA. so you know maybe look at maybe 50 years time you know I, I won't be here to have the conversation but there might be a conversation where things have changed but you know, the, it's almost like a, as you said a, a bit of a betrayal to the volunteers of all the work into, in, into you the young fella to, to go past the border you know
0: yeah. and and Dara for you obviously being more in the midlands there do you see like the same kind of passion for club football as in let's say connect or do you see differences well, ma-
1: massively uh, I mean I'm involved in a a small club in, in Kildare, and it's the second in, in the town of Monastery, Kelly Junior Club, great facilities. But, like, you know, it's it's just people working hard to keep the show on the road and not always winning, you know, competitions. And that's the thing that, you know, a club, any social outlet, and the same with you, with the, you know, the martial arts and whatnot, it has to be about, while you're competitive and you want to win a game or win a cup or whatever, a club has to be about more than that. Because if it's only about winning games, it's not enough. You know, the culture isn't right because it has to be about the community aspect of it and and certainly up here. But everywhere, I I think that's it, you see. And that's what Kevin is touching on. That if you go professional, you will kill some part of it. And and like there has been an attack on basis of GE, I think, in the last 10 years, because the basis is those grassroots in the club. And just you know, that would be a stride too much. But like when you look at, listen, money does it, right? It does that. And and what you have now is you people operating at an elite level and you won't go backwards because they want to get better and better and better. That's what they are, elite Mm -hmm. athletes. But once you put sponsors on a jersey, once money became a factor, once you raise bars, you know, you start changing things incrementally and that then becomes while money is 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 pumped back into the club game. I don't know, do we need all that money? I mean, and then next thing you have round robins and you're changing structures and it's about accumulating more money. Mm-hmm. but like you 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 won't change that, right but but that was a bit of an attack on on the club. but one of the great positives of if there weren't many of the pandemic last year was the introduction of the split season which gave the clubs room to breathe. And that was welcomed everywhere. And you could feel the joy and the life within rural Ireland, especially that that people had time and that county players had time to come back and train with clubs because the clubs had a huge part to play when we were locked down initially, Simon, you know, be it bringing messages, prescriptions to elderly people, you know, There's a club in every area in Ireland, and and uh, and they are invariably at the a, at the
0: heart of rural Ireland, especially, you know. And uh, yeah. I'm glad to see the club coming back to the forefront. Yeah, well, I, I think that's important because you can see it, and even I see it more and more now. Having been in Spain for seven or eight years, I see it when I we you know when I'm following the football, and I get a chance to follow it, and I'm following the club games and. I see more, you know, how important the club is involved in football. If the, if the club didn't have a good structure, I always think the county would be falling flat, you know. And I think what it is, like you said, in those community moments during COVID or any other kind of crisis, that whole voluntary force that's there that helps out the club and the footballers and everything and the families, they all come together. And like that's a, that's a community thing. Because, obviously, when you get together with the, the Galway footballers, the Mayo, the Sligo, whatever, they're coming together every so often and they're taking their good values and beliefs and putting it into that cl- county feeling. But it stems from the club, first and foremost, I believe. Anyway,
1: Yeah, it does. And and Kevin Luke would have a very interesting insight in this because I know Kevin at his core is a massive, massive planning club man. But then he, he played this length of time as with Galway and then has been... Ma- and management level hmm. and like the county game by the time he was at management level was a different game and different level of commitment even though it was big as a player than it is now and like you when you talk about those players coming in but they probably have their own distinct set of values and culture now because once you go into a county setup now, Simon and Kevin will tell you, it is full-time. You're away from yeah. the
0: club at that time. So, so Kevin, you know, obviously when you decided to, when you retired from count, inter-county play and stuff, and you went into coaching, so you were in charge of the Iron Islands junior footballers, Um, tell us, was, like, obviously go in charge of the Iron Island footballers, that wasn't a huge step, but was it daunting for you to go into management and even at the junior level? No, no,
2: no, look, i have been managing teams long before my own, my, my own senior team managed twice in 1997 and 2003. I've been managing teams since 94 all the way up of either basketball or football. So that was just, I'd be honest with you, what it was for me, the, the, the that opportunity to go down to Islands was actually almost to get a, get, a, get a break from my own club, to be honest with you. And it was more just to get freshness and, uh, just to put myself out there to, 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 to work with people almost away from home. And I, I just want, wanted to take that on on that basis. I suppose I've been so long doing stuff with my own club, but, you know, I played senior back in 1983. That was 2007. I've been up to that next year as well. So it was just an opportunity to actually just, just spread the wings a little bit and manage a different team. And, you know, and that was, it, was, it was a lovely thing to do because, I suppose, even in a way when you're, when you're kind of one of the mainstays or, or you're there working away with a with, with the parish all the time you're nearly expected to do it every year so it almost was a break for me to, to, to just, like, just, you know, just 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 know spread the wings a bit and obviously that probably got a bit of attention because that was the first time I got away with my own club um, and then obviously the, the Sligo thing came in, came in the year after and you know all, all of those were great learnings for me to be honest, to be honest. Um, regardless of what you, were, what you do when you're going to manage it the first time you're chancing your arm to a degree you're bringing what, maybe whatever learn to the player whatever smart or thickness the you only know, we're gonna call it that you have naturally and and try and put it all put it all together and then try and get get a good background team around you. So it's you know there's a lot of look involved there as well. And you have to hope hope to give a very good group of players if you want to to to, to win. So there's so a whole lot of variables for, for there but no, the Iron the, Island the, the thing wasn't in any shape or form daunting. It was just, yeah, yeah. it was nice to, 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 to coach maybe a different people. Have a look at their culture as well, you know. Yeah.
0: And so obviously then when you went into Sligo in November 2008, did you, you know, when you went in there, did you kind of, as you looked around and took stock of everything, did you have to kind of build things from the ground up there or did you find there was a lot you could work with?
2: I know. When you're coming in from outside, you don't really know anybody. I mean, I, I ended up with three very good selectors. I, I, lucky again, uh, on the basis, I didn't know what I was actually getting. I knew them as being three very good footballers at Sligo like and highly committed, and if you're playing for year like that, there has to be a certain amount of commitment. That's where I, I went there. But because it turned out very, very lucky, those guys were there. Uh, everything else was really in the ground up for me because I didn't know many people in Sligo. I didn't know Sligo club football. Um, I... Didn't I knew a few a few of the players, you know, as in from seeing them playing a little bit. I didn't know the whole pile. so it was it was a lot of starting from scratch, to be honest. But I did, I suppose I was lucky enough in the fact that you know, nineteen ninety eight thousand one, John O'Mahony brought a lot of good stuff to our team. He had Eddie Sullivan there, who a I major mean, I mean, Irish manager in, in in rugby, who was on our sinning auditioning uh mcburn was there who was involved with the irish team in in, in, in the euros and, and and the world cups and you know and then he, had, he had other you know pete warren and stephen jace who were involved in, in golf club football and many more so i suppose having experienced that was a great stepping stone for me as well and also which which was was which is important here is you know my first 11 years at senior level for county i, I won one connor title and that's how poor things were and you were expected to win one every two to three years um So I suppose you learn lessons from that and then for it to turn around, um, 97, 98, and and, and, then, you know, you took lessons from that as well and maybe what made that turn around. And so to have that, I suppose, experience to be able to take take the side with me maybe maybe 10 years, 7 years later was probably a help, but it really was starting from scratch, to be honest.
0: And, you know, obviously, there's a a very public thing with a player, a certain player. I, I won't name him. You can name him if you want, but I won't name him. But, That that kind of when you have a spat with a player over commitment and over training methods and things like that, is it hard to go back? Because you know we've seen it in soccer with Jose Mourinho and Pogba and all of these kind of things. But when you're the man, you know, on the pedestal, telling I know you're trying to be on their level, but at a certain point you have to be the boss and you have to take control. So when you get a player that goes against you and maybe publicizes it or tries to get his own way or whatever like that, is it, it's very hard to go backwards, I imagine, no?
2: It's not the same because, uh, number one, uh, that has never happened to me in my 10 years career because we'd always have a, a seriously and there this, a seriously open-minded, one-to-one uh, channel for players to talk to us all the time and vice versa. So without naming the player that you didn't name, um, I presume we're talking about the same person, he wasn't the player. He, so that wasn't, it was, it was coming from somebody who was no longer a player who decided to shout the mouth off for whatever reason. And that's that totally outside my control. Um, it was very it would be very disappointing, as I said in the book. Very disappointing for any player, to our to, ex-player, to go and do that. But that, that, that's his prerogative. There was a, a a pedestal there to use, and it was used. And look at whatever he got out of it, he got out of it. But, you know, certainly nothing, it uh, takes nothing away from the, all the other players I would have uh, dealt with over, over 10 years. And, there was, you know, you call it a spat. We never had a spat, well, obviously, we had loads of one-to-one conversations. We had loads of different opinions, which we, we'd always talk about, because there's always a learning there for me. If you were a player, you have a different opinion of what I'm doing, I, would, I, I want to hear that, because there's absolutely no doubt about this. We're never 100% right, never. And we, And even next year, if I was doing it again, I wouldn't be 100% right. So we learn from everybody. And like, like I, I would have said to as well, I still, you know, coach young basketballers. I've always coached basketballers going back 15 years, even as doing the football, because there's so much to learn by even dealing with kids because they'll teach you if you're willing to be open-minded and not be, uh, you know, telling them this, because youth will always teach you something if you're willing to learn. So, you know, so that's, I suppose, part of our management was always have the channels open for there was no spats publicly and there never was a public spat and, you know, Saigon and Galway, as far as I'm concerned, we've left a massive terms with them, you know, each t- each place we were hoping that we'd have stayed on, uh. But we just felt for the team, it's probably time time to, to move on.
0: Yeah, I understand. That's good. That's, that's true. And, and Dara, for you, obviously, because, you know, with the new book, The Invisible Game, and, you know, you kind of went into Kevin's world writing this book with him and you saw things from his perspective and probably other people's perspectives. But, you know, having gained that inside knowledge and, and putting it on to putting the ink to paper, so to speak, how how do you look at that situation now with the Sligo situation? Do you feel that you know that that uh, there's too much public pressure, and then once the press gets hold of something, it changes it? Well, like I suppose, just that uh,
1: like like the way the media is now, and the media, I'm part of the media, but like you know, there's there's you know it, it's very instant and it's it's reactive, and and I love a good headline, and uh, in that case that. You were referring to, um, you know, a guy happened to have a big form, uh, but but he was probably allowed to say stuff on challenge that he shouldn't have been allowed to say, you know, and and uh, Kevin says it in the book. The big notable thing was that, uh, that there was no 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 follow up uh, versions of support from. Uh, ex-colleagues in relation to his claims like you know and the story died pretty quickly because it it had no basis uh and and the support when when Kevin's term finished was fairly obvious um as regards the pressure on management is absolutely insane at the moment and the abuse that's they get you know and, and the book starts with an example of this uh Simon when you get to read it um and listen, Kevin was able for it. And, you know, it comes with the charity. It's it's tough for family to deal with. And it's only getting worse now with social media and that, you know. Um, you, you know, but uh, and that's why these are people that are, you know, willing. We talked about volunteers. But these are people willing to give their time and they're trying to do their best. Some will be better than others. Some won't be any good. But uh, even if you were the worst in the world, you deserve to be called, Every name under the sun while your mother or wife is standing, you know, next to them in the stands.
0: And, you know, the the thing is, you know, Kevin, I think there that, you know, a lot of that abuse you suffered as, you know, especially as Galway manager and everything. You know, I don't want to dwell on that because I'm sure you've gone over that millions of times already. But just, you know, it's something that's part of the game now. And, and especially with Twitter and social media, people are like these armchair terrorists. They sit in the chair and they type their words and they've no, there's no comeback for, you know, like the thing is you, you don't know them. You, you can't come back only in words. So looking back on your time with Galway, I'm sure that moment when you became the Galway manager was kind of filled with a sense of pride, but was there also a sense of fear because it's your, you know, home county and did you feel a little bit more pressure because of everything you knew would come
2: no i didn't get any pressure whatsoever um <clears throat> it probably came a year before i wanted to come to be honest um look at i've been right. approached one or two times before that when i was in sligo and you know i was committed to sligo and so i did feel at some point um the the opportunity would come but i wasn't rushing it and then it just came at that, at that point in in you know but uh no, I, did, I didn't feel that pressure. And just back to your point, um, there's only a certain amount of abuse. You know, it's not all negative. I mean, there was, you know, it's just unfortunate that the, 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 the bits of abuse that comes there is by, as you know, like you've mentioned, there could be 20, 30 guys behind a, you know, cowardly, cowardly people behind a desk <clears throat> or with a false name, or it could be the one or two instances. And it was only one or two instances that I put in the book. That's all that happened, you know, because I know, particularly after, after leaving, the amount of phone calls, texts, you know, people I meet at matches and the clap on the back. It was it was lovely to see for and are on for months afterwards and about you know, they're the they're the real people they were supporting, they're the people that I I, I put I put values on their opinions. And it's you know, like you're not going to stop we're not going to stop people with an opinion because of something that's in the head, whether it be a geographical boundary or just a bit of madness or whatever you want to call it or not happy with a team or a club player not being picked or you name it what you, what you want. But there's always a few people that just, that just are going to use the forum because, you know, it's 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 a nice, handy place. They don't have to confront anybody and they're quite happy to sit behind and do that. So I don't put any value on their opinions, to be honest, uh, Simon. The only worst case of, of that is where, and I know players are young now and, they're you know, they're mad into media forums and stuff. So it does worry me how much of that stuff gets to them. It doesn't worry me about myself whatsoever um, because we're well-internated. We are well don't we do not look at that stuff. But... I do fear for people, I think something needs to be done uh, in, in these forums. It's absolute crazy kind of stuff that's written. And no matter how much you try to keep your young fella away from it or whatever, it's certain it's, You know, and probably poor young lads are looking for a nice comment to give them a bit of confidence and they go in and they find it's all this rubbish. Also, you know? I suppose, you know, how do you deal with it going forward? Very, very hard to know. Uh, and if, if young lads stay off it, I'm sure their yes. sister or the brother will tell them anyway. And It's just that's the way it's gone. But it's, it's It's difficult, and I don't know i I think um Dara would be a fair more technically mind than I am in relation to social media stuff, so I don't know how we work it, but certainly something needs to be done as fair I as I'm
0: no i I think it's a big thing because social media in general, not just in sport but whether it be in music or in film or whatever i mean it can ruin people's careers and and the thing is if someone has a few drinks on them and they say the wrong thing on Twitter, that could be the end of their career, you know, so you can see it destroying lives but the bigger thing, I suppose, for sport, young sports people is the whole mental health issue where they take everything to heart. They, You know, it's when once it's written, it's always there. And it's kind of like when you're in school and you were younger and someone gave you a nickname or slagged you with a nickname and that name stuck and you were never happy about it, but there was nothing you could do. You know, you had to either be bullied or fight your way through it or whatever. But nowadays, it's this mental bullying and when you consider a young lad or a young girl playing basketball or football and they do their best and, you know, they're vulnerable and then they have to read stuff about them and they don't know who it's by and it's not like the bully in the playground. It's somebody across the world, even. Somebody, an expat living in New York who said stupid things. It's really, really disheartening and you can see how it can really affect the mental health of, of young people and teenagers. Yeah, and
2: I and, and you know, I suppose, you know, it's like it's like everything else. You know, whether someone is achieving or the jealousy is there or there's different things there. But I suppose it's just life that the people who genuinely know you're doing well, maybe we're a bit slow to maybe clap someone on the back for doing well. And I think if you were to actually go out and, and, and maybe put people and, and make them all put their hands up, who think you done well, who think you didn't do well, you'd have a massive amount that would say that. But, but it's always the person that has something negative to say that comes out. And unfortunately, I he as well, it's looking for a headline, unfortunately, in the media. Um, the people aren't very well informed or maybe chancing their arm or looking for a bit of exposure, they will use whatever they want because they just probably aren't that type of person who, who, who will be of the caring sort. So other than caring for themselves. But again, I think the onus is on the likes of, especially the national media, is to start looking at this and say, you know, make people, if they're making comments, back it up a complete fact, basis in fact, and also that, that, that they are, that they should be challenged. You know, I've made this point in, in the book, and even in relation to analysis and RTE, the biggest forum in, in the country. You know that it, it, it would be far better if whoever's making those comments that they're actually allowed to be challenged. So, for instance, the incident you spoke about early on, it, unfortunately, because of how the media works, and there's a, one program for an hour and a half per week, it's pushed over what I said the week before. It's important that anything that somebody says there should be a challenge forum on the basis of that there's no fact to back up, up stuff they say. That's my own opinion. And I think even going in the media uh, now with the youngsters involved, maybe something like that can come in as well. It needs to be fact on what people are saying or else put their face out there not hiding behind a, a false name. So whatever whatever way. But you know, Yeah, it, it and, does and need to at that
0: up. point there you hit on, obviously, with the analysts, you know, and there's a certain few analysts that have been there for years. And I know you were kind of public and saying that you, you don't know, should that be the situation because you know, times have to move on. Like, you can't be a manager forever. You can't be a midfield player forever. You can't be an analyst for 30 years because maybe you don't understand the game the way you think you do. And, you know, y- you can be an expert in any field, but if you don't refresh that and do courses and learn new things, maybe your opinion isn't as valid as it was 20 years ago. Yeah, I
2: have made that point in the book, to be honest, because I do believe not only is <clears throat> is that kind of effective but what you've said, Derek, but it has a massive effect on the whole country as to how they view the game of football because the game of football has got a very negative, even though if you look back on the, on the, on the games even, even 20 years ago when we were ourselves, there was a lot of poor stuff in those games and we were lauded for it. But there was a lot of poor, if you, if you really want to look at it, there was a lot of poor stuff there. And that's improved immensely with all teams, you know, because of coaching and because of technology. But unfortunately, the analysis hasn't moved on with that, And I think everything is fact by perception, which is very, 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 very wrong. And that's why I've been pushing for those guys to be challenged, because perception is reality. And if you've got, you know, 1.5, 2.5 million watching football and they're listening to this kind of stuff every Sunday night, that's the view they're going to have of the game. They're not looking for the stuff that could be publicized a a bit stronger where the game has moved on. So that maybe in five years time, people are looking at a completely different game. And they, they can see why things are done. They can see why people cover space. They can see why people make space. They can see why people may not win for a tackle or they may win physically or may not win physically. All the stuff is spoke about in the book. I think it's really important that people understand why you do that. Because in the background somewhere, there's figures to back up all this. In particular, the higher level. That there, there, there's facts and bases for what coaches do if you want to achieve. And again, look, what I will say this. Unless, unless I'm looking at some counties at a minute who have an abundance of talent and they're not winning all ireland and it's, it can't be just that well dublin are so good They should be challenging for all ireland but i i do believe that they haven't actually moved on yet uh, in relation to where this needs to go to go to because they've probably been held back by this old tradition talk and again you know do you want to play social football or do you want to win and those are the questions that there's nothing wrong with either but just to be clear social and no. win doesn't come in the same sentence. so it's you know are we going socially and stick with the old ways and say, yes, because of, uh, I'll do this because my uncle said it. i go train and choose Tuesday night because my father did it. You know, you have to be evolved and move on. And unfortunately, we've been held back in the football. The hurling has moved on. I mean, you, I've, I've watched one or two seriously poor game of hurling and the way I was looking at an RTE and this to them and by God, it was the best game of all time. So you've got two conflicting things going on at the minute and we really need to shape up the football side of things and get people who understand the game to talk about the game, to get the full reality out of the public.
0: Yeah, you're right there. The hurling has evolved a little bit more because you see it now as well. And, and Dara, probably covering the other sports, sees the evolution of other sports. But I see it myself as well with the hurling, that now other counties have come forward and are much stronger than they used to be. And there's a better balance. You know, it's not just Galway or Tip or, you know, uh, Kilkenny. Now you have Limerick, you have Waterford. You are so many counties now. And I think that's through the evolution of their training, their phys, their regime, everything. So maybe there's more science needed in the sport of football. And, you know, maybe there's more we can learn from hurling as well. So, Dar, I want to ask you there, just when I, what I was saying, when, when Kevin was saying like how some sports, you know, have evolved more than others, because you were involved with horse racing and everything. Do you see comparisons, the way the game has moved on in football uh, to horse racing and other sports that you cover?
1: Yeah, it's funny. Um, we're only talking about it. I, I've been on um, TG Car coverage of racing the last two months um, while there was no GA in that. and that. And we were talking about it, how actually racing, the actual race itself, so that hasn't changed at all. The race is still a race, but I, everything around it has how jockeys uh, in the last ten years, prepare is just changed beyond measure because they didn't view themselves as athletes, and because you have to make weight, there was this age-old perception of the way to make weight was not to eat or to sweat or to or to binge and then sweat, and that. so they had huge bulimic issues, bone density issues, mental health issues, as and and they are all big issues still. But now they have, you know, with the influx of sports science, conditioning, they now understand that it's better to have a breakfast and go to the gym than not eat. And then call into McDonald's on the way home and then have to sweat it off. I mean, that's what they did, you know. And, and of course, you you write dehydrated. How can you be as well, you know? So that is only changing in the last times. Training people, train racehorses, that's evolving all the time. Um, you know different ways of doing it be it interval training or you know it used to be long slow stuff and now interval training came in maybe 20 years ago and again a lot of it is similar to what you do with humans I would say uh, Simon that football has evolved and in terms of the training just as much as the hurling I think the point Kevin was making was the evolution of how it's publicised so it's the pundits are so pro hurling It's all positive, 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 whereas it's all negative, negative, negative in the football. So that's the message we're fed. Suddenly, it became a bad thing. Work rate became a bad thing. This cute football term where three people came back to tackle one person. Surely that's a positive thing. It's viewed as positive in in hurling when Kilkenny Hurler started it, but it was viewed as a negative in football. But the same thing was happening. Mm-hmm. So that's the issue, I think, with football. It's the
0: perception that Kevin was speaking about. Yeah, you know, I, I understand. Yeah, I understand.
2: I was going to actually come back to it. And Dara, thanks for turning it up. That's exactly where, where it was coming from. It wasn't. I'd be straight. I think football has far more, has actually far more evolved than hurling. fair. So, so I'm, I'm, it's not that. It's the analysis of it. And I think like the hurling is now starting to play a sweeper and stuff. I genuinely believe football has, has evolved far more than hurling. You're going to see an, an evolution in hurling coming up, I think. Uh, it's, starting, it's only starting where the football is probably 10 years ahead of it. And that might be a strong comment to make. The issue I'm talking about is absolutely very clear on this for Dara It's the commentary on both. The hurling side of it are very complimentary towards the game, regardless of what happens. The Gaelic, is, is just, it's just, it's, it's gone in one, one way all the time. It's kind of a silly message, in fact, and it just needs to up the game big time because it's, it's actually killing the, it's killing the game. And uh, it doesn't deserve that.
0: Yeah no I I do understand I I did I did uh, I did understand what you meant but what I kind of meant I think what I was saying about the, the evolution was like you have dublin which is such a big county but what I mean is that there are so many other small counties there's not a great balance in football you like you have there's two or three top counties but I feel that hurling as a sport you look across the board now and you say wow there's some strong counties there that 's what I mean by evolution i don 't mean so much about the training or the sports science, but i do I definitely agree with you that the the, um, the commentary is and both is very different and i I think sometimes watching." these kind of shows where they analyze the game so much from former players i see it here i watch sometimes the spanish stuff about the the soccer and you're kind of like who the hell are these guys what are they talking about and they give the players dogs abuse and you know it's it's kind of like the more negative you can be the better ratings the show gets or whatever and like i mean i always say to people for me this podcast i always try to keep the podcast positive I don't want to be running down anybody. I don't want to be negative. I want to try and keep this positive. But there's too many shows now—reality shows—and you know shows with people changing the way they look and everything. And they're focusing on the negative too much. And as you said, the, the punditry and the analysis in football is pretty bad at that sometimes, isn't it? You you
1: you were talking about soccer there. You see a goal, and what's the first thing that's that's decided? What went wrong? Mm. It's never what did what. The, they do well to create that score yeah so it's the perception straight away that's the problem i mean both exist if you're the coach of the team that conceded it you're going to be going right what could we have done to stop that? that's what you should do and analysis should give you that like analysis should give us the punter sitting at home just something a little bit more that we didn't understand give us insight of the modern game where either club golfers or where club footballers or soccer players. But we don't know the nuances that if he stepped two steps to the left, he could have put that off. That's the sort of stuff Kevin goes into detail in in his book. That's fine. But it's always that negative aspect first. Why not start with that was outstanding in the creation, the way he lost the player, the way he moved, whatever. And then say, okay, it could have been stopped
0: going this way. But it's always, That was appalling. He's a disgrace as a human being. I think, you know, the one thing there that Kevin said, and I think it's a really valid point, is that even the analysts and coaches and people watching, they are focusing on the negative when they should be focusing on the positive. It's kind of like if you're doing anything and somebody excels and they beat you at it, you should look and say, okay, how can I up my game, and how can I change that to be as good as them? I I was reading this story the other day about Kobe Bryant and um, with one player I can't remember his name. He turned up at the game and he heard Kobe Bryant, you know, shooting hoops, and he said, I was like going in getting ready, and he must have shot about two hundred hoops. He said, and I came out and I trained on the other end of the court, and it was before a big game, and he said, um while i was training he was training just as hard you know shooting hoops all the time so he said i finished and he still kept going and he said so i after i changed another 20 minutes i came back out on, on the stands and sat down and i watched him and he kept training so he said he trained for nearly three times as long as i did and I, I, and so after the, the game was a couple hours later it was like warming up and he said they he said during the game kobe bryant bet like by 40 points or whatever you know he just annihilated them so he went up to kobe bryant and he said to him he said why did you put in so much training and even you stayed when i was there and he said he said i stayed because i knew you were watching me and the point is that to be a top player or elite player in any game you have to look at not the negative stuff, but the positive stuff you can gain from that guy who does score the point or who does score the the free or whatever. You have to say, how can I raise my game? But unfortunately, the outside world sees the negative. He failed. He should have stopped that.
1: That was also, like Kobe, that's the sort of mental aspect of the sport at elite level as well, isn't it? You know, which, which is very, very intriguing in itself. But that's it, you know. uh, And uh, listen, elite sport is 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 amazing, as we keep saying, has been mentioned numerous times. There are there are lessons to learn. I'm not going to use
0: the other word that's now come Mm. into the lexicon: learnings, learnings. Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) And it's up to you to choose to pick them up.
0: Yeah, yeah. So so let's let's talk about the book for a minute, lads. Um. So so Kevin, what you know? When did you kind of think to yourself, I'd like to put pen to paper I'd like to write about my career so far and you know obviously to grow on as a coach put stuff down on paper that your your beliefs and what you wanted to achieve I'll be honest
2: Simon I never thought that it was, it was not, nothing I was ever thinking of and I never had the intention of it uh, it was just a Liam, Liam Hayes happened to contact me and um, it certainly wouldn't be I suppose a lot of people are, are actually being surprised I would have written a book, to be honest. I didn't write it, I wrote it. But um, it wouldn't have been ever on ever top of my agenda. It wouldn't have be been on top of my agenda whatsoever. Um, not now, but when Dean came talking to me, I just, I did, anyway, I said to him, look at that. I'm not the type of person who wants to put everything out in the washing, the washing line. I, I, just not the way I am. Wouldn't be, wouldn't be massively looking for attention or looking for, for, for jobs at that. That's it's not the way I am either. But um, so I said to him, I don't think I don't think there's actually a book in me to be honest with you. And he said, I think it might be blah blah blah. So we met a few occasions, and when I started to actually open up on the coaching side of it, um, that seemed to intrigue Liam. And because he'd obviously been a player himself with the of of um, about how it moved on, and so we spoke at length about that. And he kind of came back and he said, you know, Kevin, I think there could be a book on this, providing you can give a little bit about yourself and and, and head down to the coaching and just balance it balance it completely, because he said. This is something that nobody has ever spoken about to this degree. And would I be interested in that? And to be honest with you, I would be very interested in that because of the, all the reasons I've talked about before now. I, I do believe that people should be sharing information uh, on on what's happening inside, inside, inside the bigger camps at the minute. I do believe that the public need to see or have an idea of what's happening um, so, that the, so that the public can actually, you know, look at the game in a different way. I think it's really important. And what's wrong with sharing information? I mean, if I'm sharing information to anybody, if there's something new in that for them, you know, there's, there's a lot of time to learn even what, I, what I'm talking about. And and, and I, I hope people do that because it involves the game. And that them would put a little bit of pressure on me to actually make myself better, to, to be ahead of the posse again if I ever go back at the thing. So I've no issue doing that. So that's how this came about, to be honest with you. And with uh, a few meetings and then Liam said, yeah, look, at something in this. Then obviously Liam and they point to Dara whatever way they work between themselves at the time. And... I had to say that, you know, the last year, year and a half, it was a pleasure working with, with Dara. You know, maybe some other book writers or some other personalities might find that difficult. I would thought I was going to find it difficult. Um, there certain things you find difficult in it. But working with Dara was a pleasure. So he made that pretty, very easy. And be fair to him, because he wouldn't have been in the dressing rooms of of, of 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 the elite sports in, in Gaelic, you know, to put it in the writing he'd done. I think he'd he done a really, really good job to the public to to, to read it in the and term, as much as much as possible
0: and Dara, for you then um like how do you you know obviously i, I you you had another book you know the the um, with the the whistleblower and you know you were with the the Alain Roland and if I'm pronouncing that correctly and so that was obviously focusing more on his background as a referee and everything, so you're Kind of, you have to put yourself into their mindset and kind of go into their head and see how they, you know, look at things through their career. So, when it came to work, obviously working with Kevin and you know, thinking how an elite footballer thinks or used to think, and thinking how an elite manager thinks, then how did you go about that? Like, was it was it a difficult process?
1: It's not though. It can be daunting, and this one because we were going to be, we knew this coaching element was going to be a, a a big element of it so therefore it was going to be a ga memoir like like there had never been and I, I did find that daunting because i didn't know how we were going to present it and make it presentable because it is it is nuanced and fine detailed stuff so listen it's just a, a bigger interview uh, in that you do loads of interviews mm. and it feels like a bigger feature and your your sections you still have loads of sections and it's it's conversation and conversation and conversation. And I think it was really helpful in that. And I hadn't, I had no clue obviously about elite uh, GA, but the fact we have pretty similar principles, I think on a lot of things and I, w- I would have coached with my club and uh, maybe I hadn't the language that Kevin had worked out. I hadn't the terminology, but my, my processes were similar. So I could envisage a lot. He was able to explain to me and I could envisage a lot of what he was talking about, but we, we got on fairly quickly, which is important to the whole process. And if you don't, it's very hard because he's, he's allowing me into his home. His family are there. They're a bit protective, you know, and they have to open up to a stranger. So, you have to become not a stranger fairly quickly. And it isn't, we're best friends, but I think we could go and have a pint now, you know? Mm. We, we we He became comfortable, the lads became comfortable with me, Mary and the lads. And that's really an important part of the process, as it was with Elaine and Missy and the kids there as well. Because you're giving up a lot of your life, you know, and you're trusting then how it's presented. And yeah. why... Kevin, okay, is obviously okay in the whole lot. They are really they're placing a huge amount of trust in your hands, and then I feel that trust. So you want to. There's a responsibility comes with that. So as a process, it can be bruising, it's straining, and it's hard work, but really enjoyable. And then the end product is out there, and you're just really proud. And I do
0: think there isn't there isn't one like this, and there hasn't been a GA book like this. A point there, or a, a thing I would think about. If you're a writer and you're approaching, you know, like you're working with somebody, sports star, celebrity, whoever, you know, you're saying to them, tell me about this moment in your career, or in your life. And maybe they're saying to you, I don't know, do I want to talk about that? Because everybody has different thresholds of privacy. So and much in the same way, if I ask a question, you might not want to answer it. And I'm trying not to be pushy. But as a writer... I, You know, is there a part of you that was saying to Kevin at times, I think that would be good in the book, though. And he's saying, I don't know if I want to put that in. Did you have moments like that? Kevin, maybe you can answer that. I'll try to answer that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We
1: have one or two, Mm. but like nothing, nothing major, but just one or two. Mm. and, And like, but again, consensus. We'd have come to consensus. There wouldn't have been a row. There'd never been a loggerhead. Yeah. You'd make the argument. And because you were meeting umpteen times, maybe it would end in a way and you just let it lie and go away and come back again. Uh, ultimately, um, everyone had to see the value of what was going into it and what it was adding or what it would look like if it wasn't into it. Kevin didn't want a big, you know, and we didn't want a big, like, you know, headlines, negative this, this no more than, that wasn't what we wanted. And his story is such an inspirational story. It didn't need that. Obviously, there couple of elements that happen
0: and they have to be in it you know so I, what i was going to say to you there obviously the 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 broken the book is broken into five parts so without giving stuff away because we want people to read the book obviously but would would you be able to like take each part let's say kevin you talk about the first part and and Dara, you talk about the next part so kevin if i said to you the first part home game could you just summarize that very shortly what that is
2: it's, it's, it's starting off with the, with the chapter of of I suppose the 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 maybe a negative one, but it's starting off with 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 maybe some supporter that would that would have been over the top and abuse and stuff of like that. So just probably it goes directly straight into um I suppose the challenges that face people in 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 life in an amateur game and uh, you know it was it was mainly about about that and about you know your your home circumstances you know a little bit of where we grew up um I suppose the culture and values that we, we held high as a you know maybe, maybe a family growing up in a, in, a, in a very small small kind of a farm and, and you know they, they just I suppose you're, you're upbringing your 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 values to a parish things like that I suppose that we've already kind of spoken about um, so that's, that's really where you're, where you're heading
0: okay and and Dara so go, the play in the game then so give us your take on that Sum- summarise it don't give too much away <laughs>
1: Like I mean, it's probably self-explanatory. As I said, I think that home game part was very important because it 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 shapes Kevin the playing the game is is the playing aspect of it, particularly how it started off with Kalanin and and then you know moving on, um, you know those travails that he had, be it you know so many injuries, and as he mentioned earlier, which helped him going into Sligo, you know, setback after setback after setback nearly been gone and then having a lot of success at the end of his career and continuing on with the club and having some great days. Um, And there are some hopefully very interesting stories and insight.
0: Yeah. So, so Kevin, I'll ask you lastly, we won't go through every part because, you know, we don't want to give, as I said, too much away, but the the name of the book, obviously is the invisible game. So give us just a summary of that part, the invisible game. Like, cause people, some people will be thinking, what does that mean? Does that mean like, all the bullshit that goes on with politics in GA, or does it mean about like training methods? Give us a summary of what that could entail.
2: It's mainly, as you know, I like said, it's mainly if you want to call it behind the scenes. Well, like if you're playing a football game and you're not actually on the ball, you know, can you impact that game without the football in your hands? And we're we, important we to believe you can. I think it's highly underestimated and highly undercoached, you know, and uh, it's a little thing that matters. You, you know, where do you hold your position when you're off that ball? Where do you have the biggest impact, you know, whether it be in, in attack, supporting your own players, or in defense, when it looks like you don't have a job. I mean, actually, in fact, you do have a job. If you understand the invisible game, they have of impact to your team. It could be the difference between winning and losing. Because at the end of the day, you know, how we spoke about the social side of sport. most people do want to win, whether it be Junior B, Junior C, people like to win. And, you know, it's learning that invisible game. We spoke about other sports, how, you know, how, how, how you know, Shane Batty a basketballer, in there, how how he was known as an old stats all-star. He was an all-star, but his stats didn't show that because all the work he was doing was almost invisible. But when they look back on his career over 13, 14 years, they saw all the stuff. He was getting in the spatial awareness. He was getting in the block for somebody else. He was blocking off uh, another guy, so his own teammates could catch an easy rebound. But they, he wasn't prepared for stats. So he was doing all this effective work for his team. And One of the reasons... The reason they looked at, looked, looked at him is because everywhere he went, best seemed to follow him. And it was just, was it ironic that every time he played, the big stars and other teams didn't really have a good day out. So do we put that down to the, the, LeBron James didn't play well or was it was there something else there? And again, I challenge that in, in Gaelic. You know, and if we look back on even our own, you know, good time, there's lots of big players there that probably didn't play well, uh, according to people. But maybe there was something done that, 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 that was affecting how they, how, they how they played. And ultimately, that does allow you him with a better chance of winning so I suppose you're really looking at you know and again you know I go as far as county boards I go as far as your own uh, values and help support at home that's all invisible stuff to people do you get support or don't you get support and you know if you don't you're going to struggle a bit more so it's an invisible game all around you barbing on the ball I suppose but do take a lot of stuff into, into, into consideration Simon
0: yeah I understand it's more the framework the structure everything that makes the game possible all of those things. Yeah, it? and I'm
2: sure, maybe Darry, I'm sorry sure let out a little bit there. You might want to give a word next as well because in fairness, you were part of naming that name.
1: It was just, again, it was such a, an element, an important element of what Kevin wanted to do in the book. You know, this was this coaching, this insight. So it is the invisible aspect on the pitch itself, but all those other aspects. So it is the framework around it, but it is then on the pitch because as Kevin mentioned, um, uh, Kevin has a stat there, 69-1, 79-1. So if we called an inter-county game, is roughly 80 minutes nowadays. The very most, any one player will be on the ball, in possession of the ball in a game of football will be one minute. The average is probably less than that. Wow. So Kevin's point is, if you coach for that one minute, is that not insanity? When there's another 79 minutes you're on the pitch, should you not be coaching and that's the invisible game. What? How can you influence the game for the 79 minutes of the 80 that you don't have the ball? And that's
0: what I find intriguing, and that's really on the pitch yeah. what, what the invisible game part is about. Here's a question, you know, Kevin might answer this better, but Kevin, when, nowadays, obviously, with the improvements in, you know, scientific methods and technology, you know, you hear of golfers using, um, you know, uh, body body analysis of their shots and everything, and and it's in a lot of sports. Can you see that if it's not maybe it's already there? Can you see that coming more into GA where you know players are wearing things that you the the coaches can go back and look at how many steps they took? And is that coming? Is that already in the game a lot, or is it
3: coming into the game?
2: It's too slow to come into the game to be honest. Um, even before we wear anything, I mean, again, a lot of this is in the book. This is exactly what we're talking about: body position, footwork balance all the things that make you a better footballer <clears throat> you know we're pumping iron in the gym uh we're lifting massive weights we're but yet do we have the strength on the pitch if we don't know how to move our feet and you know all this stuff has been missed this, and this is invisible game as well so before we even go to wearing stuff like that i mean there's so much technology there at the minute and that's why we've done this and we set up our thing called grow coach um that we've been in the self-defense and sean condon and we've got 200 videos in there and a lot of those videos are based on actually looking at people's footwork, looking at their balance, looking at the positions they take up. So we're actually already, we're actually doing that at the minute, and it's, we're really what we're doing there is trying to coach coaches how to coach players, you know, how to how to make an impact, how to make an impact more often. So we're actually starting that at the minute through coach. I don't believe this has started at all, to be honest with you, and that's part of what we're pushing at the minute. Maybe a number of years time, maybe technology will let you wear. They're obviously wearing the GPS system at the minute. Um, we're looking at all this, that, that scientific, which is good. Again, there's so much information there. Sometimes less is more. Well, I see managers now taking off people because they've hit, they've hit a threshold at, at 60 minutes. Do they take into account that this guy is actually has a big heart? This guy runs through these things? Or do they say, oh, you know what? This guy's got to come off. So you've got to be very careful how you, how you use that type of stuff. So that GPS is in the back of everyone's shorts a minute. Again, you know, we always try to keep up with Joneses. So we're trying to do everything. But if you try to do everything, it'd be a matter of none. So you've really got to break down the less is more, and that's in the book as well. You know, it's, it's hot. What matters to us? We're, what are the big rocks in amongst all the pebbles on the seashore that we want to move? Is it two or three? And, you know, move them, at a, you know, not, not just grab the pebbles. I mean, there's too many there. So that, again, is the growth coach side of it, and it's also in the book that Dara so well put together. So that's kind of, um, like, answer a question you've asked me, will there be technology coming on people's jerseys and stuff? I think there's technology there that needs to be looked at the overall at the minute it hasn't been done and we're trying to achieve that and grow coach and, and, and through the book.
0: And, and one, one thing there you mentioned that just took from me is the, the position of the player's feet, for example. So obviously that's something that boot technology could work into it, no? Yeah,
2: possibly could, but i, I will going to hand up in this assignment. Technology and me don't, get, don't, go, well, don't go well together. So uh, <laughs> I'd I'll, I'll have to hold my head up on I want to say. Yeah. But, but I tell you, before we even dream of going there, there's enough technology there at the minute to go for coaches to go there and even look at the type of stuff I've mentioned about pro-coach are in the book because I don't believe this has been coached many places. I actually don't know of so many places it's been coached and it's a massive, massive vital part of getting the best out of your team. Does it mean you're going to win everything? It doesn't because you may not have the same talent as the other guys have, but I tell you what you can do, you can bring your team to be maximized. Not like the old tradition of just kick the ball up and I, I told you to kick it, I told you to go forward, I told you to go back. I mean, that's gobbledygook. Now, if you want to continue that and think, oh, well, that's my tradition, and that's uh, that's fine, but don't be putting the word win in there. Chip away, chip away, have your, have your social side of it, or else evolve or, or have an open mind to go and at least look at things that might make a difference. Because some people, and that's something I find in the GEA, is the old cultures in particular find it very hard to ch- change. And to be fair, change is very difficult. We all know that. You know, if you're sitting at, a, at, a, at your seat in the table for your dinner every evening and you come home and someone's sitting there and you don't want them to move, you, you do want them to move because you cross your right leg over your left leg. You don't want to put your left leg over your right leg. So now you're in a place you want to be because change is difficult. Change is difficult. So, but people need to be open-minded and be, and be open to see, well, is there an improvement in my team here? And unfortunately, we were very slow to look at that, particularly, you know, the older coaches. And they would love it to see younger coaches coming through now with an open mind for also our young academies, that this start of coaching goes in there now. Because, you know, we're too quick to, to load under 21 winners, minor winners. I won a minor myself in 1986. Didn't win a second senior, a senior, only won one kind of title in the next, next 11 years. So people think there's an automatic chance of winning because they win minor. Who's to say a team isn't very lucky in a semi final and a final? And they are. I've seen it myself. But does all this footwork and balance and spatial p- awareness go? Without being dealt with an underage, yes, it does. Does that leave you a less chance of making a senior winning team? Yes, it does. So let's put that stuff into the academies and start working with it.
0: Okay, guys, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go on in a sec. I just want to ask you, obviously, Kevin. You mentioned there with the grow coach, so give it a plug there. Tell us a bit more about it and how people can kind of. Look at this webinars. Tell us a bit more about
2: Grow Coach. Yeah, look at it's just it's a it's a resource really. It's a platform for people, you know, for, for coaches who, need, who want to go onto it and look at maybe some stuff that they may maybe haven't seen before. We're not saying it's gospel, but we are saying though we would be very surprised if you don't pick a lot of stuff out of this and pick what you what you want yourself. Um, look, at it. it's, it's it's dealing with the invisible game like we spoke about. It's uh it's dealing with the culture environment of, of, of what good teams look like. It's dealing with personalities of players that dealing with challenges that probably may hit you as a coach and maybe a few tips on what we think would have worked for us. It might fall into your thing, you know. But, you know, you're looking at the footwork, the off the ball movement, stuff um Dara spoke about there. All that type of stuff. There's about 200 videos in there based on maybe 30 seconds up to six minutes, all depending on what you're looking for. And the starters, there's beginners, there's intermediates, and there's and, and there's advanced and, you know, session planners, that type of stuff that's in there that will give some kind of an inkling uh, to coaches who maybe want to evolve a little bit as I said we're, we're, it's not gospel but there's certainly something in there that may just tickle it a little bit to say that there's another another, another part of coaching that we're missing here so you know it's uh, www.growcoach.ie is a, is, is a website and uh, we really are driving into in, into 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 clubs as much as possible and again I'm back to what we spoke about early on about the poor analysis and where football is at it would be lovely maybe for for those in particular to Write this out into, into other areas, uh, that there's something in there that the visible the invisible game and the, that it does work on certain aspects. And, and we'd like people to see that
0: brilliant, brilliant. And and Dara, I'll let you plug the book, so tell us a bit about the book, where you can get it, and you know, where it's available, and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's
1: obviously been a strange time to, to bring out a book, Simon. Um, shops not open for length of time, and that sort of delayed us, and that, but thankfully things are opening up here um in ireland now anyway but you can so it's in all the all the good bookshops it's online as well uh for any of uh, your international um viewers and listeners um on bookstation.ie i know it's on um, easons it's available on amazon as well so for for international buyers and listen, I I think there's a lot in it, and um, I'm going to say it's very good. But uh, I'm not a big-headed person by nature. Yeah. But what it is is different, and not as Kevin said, not everyone will agree with everything that's in it. But I think there are things to pluck out of it that people will find interesting, and that's quite apart from this very what I think is an inspirational personal story. Brilliant, brilliant.
0: And uh, the last question I'm going to ask you guys. And uh, for, for Dar, what's, you know, for the rest of the year that we've left and obviously with restrictions lifting in Ireland a little bit, what's kind of your objectives and goals for the rest of the year? Have you other stuff in the pipeline?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't have a week. Re- I don't have a big project. I did. And that's probably fallen by the wayside because of COVID and a couple of things like that have happened. But like, listen, there are always opportunities as well. And, um, I'll be, I'll be looking there, but I am busy on, on, on race and stuff. There there, there might be more, I was presenting on TG car there for the racing coverage, which was a new sort of outing, um, in at the deep end, a bit, a steep learning curve, uh, scary at times, but, uh, really beneficial personally, I think. And I would love more of those opportunities. There will be the press service with the Komogi Association uh, as those competitions keep going. Loads of good features, which I love doing. And um, yeah, we'll just keep going. It's very busy, thankfully. And uh, I find after a book that I probably need a little uh, spell of rest before I throw myself into that cement mixer again, Simon. Yes.
0: Yes. Um, but, but there will be another one. Yeah, okay. Brilliant, brilliant, Darren. I wish you the best of luck with everything this year. Kevin, for you... What's your goals and objectives for the year? Do you, you know, besides obviously pushing the grow coach and uh, pushing the book as well and getting it out there, you know, can we, can we see you going back into management anywhere in the near future? It's our,
2: so the, the COVID thing has, has a lot of stuff up in the heap at the minute. So thanks the God it's getting back now and the youngsters are getting back. My own family youngsters are starting to play again. So I'm looking forward to actually going to some of their matches, to be honest. I'm not roaring and shouting like Darren mentioned about the book to... to, to to get back this minute in relation to <clears throat> to to managing. Look, I love coaching as well, but look, this this year will definitely run out before I do. Anything. I I really um, put the, a lot of work into the role coaching in the minute, so it's not just a kind of a here a come day Sunday job. It's a, I, I do I do um, I will be pushing that for a number of months now. I think I, I believe in what's in it, and uh, give that a good push as well. Just doing a bit of work for the day, so not really overly eagerly roaring to get back into management or anything like that. But look at uh, like 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 Barry having his break in the book. We'll see what happens. Um, but I'm looking forward to get back to watching a bit of football.
0: Right, that's brilliant. Well, listen, guys, it's been a pleasure. I mean, it's very insightful, and you know, you've uh, it, it's there's a lot to learn. I think for for players and viewers and spectators and analysts in the whole game. But you know, it's been it's been really entertaining talking to you and. um I'm looking forward to reading the book. You know, I, I think it's a, I've, I've looked at excerpts from the book and it looks really interesting and I think it'll open a lot of people's eye, eyes, whether they're big football fans or not. I think it's a, going to be an interesting read. So I wish you the best of luck with it. And I want to say thanks very much for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. And uh, we hope to have you on again in the future, maybe. Gentlemen, Simon. Thank you me. very much, Simon. Kevin Walsh and Dara Kinnear, everybody.
3: Okay, thank you very much, Kevin and Dara. That was a really interesting interview. And thank you for shedding some light on the football scene in Ireland and things that have gone on that maybe some other people might not be aware of. And you can read all about that in their new book, The Invisible Game, which should be an exciting read. And that will be available from all good outlets. And we encourage you to buy local as well if you can for this book. Support your local shops and uh, really interesting interview guys it was a pleasure to have you on thank you very much okay so moving on to next week's guest so next week we are going to be talking to Pauline Scanlon so Pauline Scanlon is a vocalist and songwriter who galvanized the Irish music scene with her stunning debut album Red Colour Sun produced by John Reynolds over 10 years ago Scanlon is capable of making the oldest ballads sound immediate and fresh while granting new material a timeless resonance As a featured vocalist with the Sharon Shannon Band for three years, as a solo artist and as a member of vocal duo Lumiere, Scanlon has entranced audiences the world over with their distinctly delicate intensity. As a vocalist, Pauline has performed and recorded with a wide range of artists including Damien Dempsey, Sinead O'Connor, Eleanor Shanley, Karen Casey, Andrea Corr, John Spillane and Seamus Begley. So we really looking forward to that interview, and uh, we hope you tune in. And thank you for tuning in to this episode. And all we can say to you guys is it's a pleasure to have you on board and listening, and we value your support. I am Simon Kay, and it's been a pleasure once again. Take care of yourself, take care of your family, and till the next time, bye-bye.